And I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer, raise your hand. Um, but I want you to just think about it. I want you to be honest with yourselves. How many of you worry about death? How many of you think about it every day? How many of you feel its subtle motivations behind the scurrying that you do in life? Um, It's interesting. In a recent study, death has come up as the eighth phobia that people struggle with. Um, but I don't buy that because let me read to you the first seven phobias. Phobia one, not being able to breathe. Phobia two, being hit by a car. Phobia three, bombing attacks. Phobia four, getting burned by fire. Phobia six, falling from high places. Phobia seven, burglar alarms. Breaking, in, uh, breaking into homes. Yeah, that was seven, I believe. And so the, the, and the eighth is death. Now, I don't know, but I think there's a theme there that puts the eighth number one because behind all those things is that fear of death. Why do we fear it? I mean... Do we fear it because it's painful? When you're, when you're dead, it doesn't hurt. Um, in fact, as one person said, but to die is extremely simple. You breathe out and you don't breathe back in. It's not painful, so why do, why do we worry or fear about it? Is it we think that if we worry about it, we can avoid it? You know, like a pothole, if I just whoop, I stay away from it, I'll be okay, and I just don't go over here. Rationally, we, we know that's not true. Yet something deep down inside of us does worry about it. In fact, the, uh, the gentleman who did that study was a medical doctor. And um, he said, if you ask most medical doctors, 95% of them will say they do not fear death. And yet he would say, why'd you become doctors? Subtle. Why do we get anxious? Why do we worry about money? Because in all of our fears and worries, if you trace them to the minus port, there's this sense that, that we could end up with not enough or be in the street or get a disease that could take our lives or, or that we could be abandoned. We l- worry about it for the obvious reasons. We don't like to lose control. We weren't built to die. God didn't build us to die. 
And so the idea of not being, the worry of, uh, of the unknown, you know, is it going to hurt? When's it going to come? How's it going to come? Those are, those are human things because we haven't been built for it. The idea of the loss of dignity. Now you ask yourself, why do you bring up a subject like this? Who wants to hear about death on a Sunday morning? Well, we began a series right in the beginning, right, first uh, Sunday of January, called Mastering the Basics. And the series is a New Year's series because it's looking at how do we live differently? How do we get more this year than we got last year? How do we not make resolutions that we're going to bump into again? And we said that part of the reason is that we make resolutions that really don't matter. We make resolutions that really don't have to do with anything that's that important. And, and so there's no real reason to fulfill those resolutions. But we also said this. If we can wrap our minds around the things that matter to the God and look at mastering those things, mastering the understanding and applying of those things, then we have a much better chance at having a new year that offers us more. And so this morning, we're going to close out the series, not to talk about death, but to talk about heaven. But you can't talk about heaven without talking about death. Because death is part of the problem that people have with heaven. We don't want to think about death, so we don't want to think about heaven. We want to deny that there's a heaven because we think that somehow we'll avoid death in the process. This morning, I want us to look at Why heaven is important to us. The whole purpose of this series is to change our lives. Why is it important? We began the series, and I want you to think about this. We began the series looking at God. In fact, we began it, if you remember, with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. We said that for living life, that's got to be the foundational piece, is the recognition that everything's about God. And so if I'm going to make my first step out the door, and try to be successful, if I'm going to make my first step into the new year and try to be successful, then I got, I got to go with the irreducible minimum, which is the maximum, that what's to matter most to us is God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, everything. So we began this series with loving God. Doesn't it make sense 
that we end it with heaven? Because if we begin with loving God, making him everything, then the next thing we should want is to be as close to him as possible. To one day be with him face to face. To one day be so intimate like we have been created to be. And so we've looked at the, what, what it means to love God. We've looked at what, what does it mean in our loving God and how we do it. And so we looked at what it means to believe the Bible and, and how God wants us not to look at his word as something that takes things away from us, but that pours important things into our hearts, our lives, that draws us nearer. We looked at what it means to be human, uh, to be people who were divinely created, sacred, who then became sinful. And yet God made salvageable through salvation in Christ. We talked about our salvation in Christ, that we can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. We talked about the person of Christ recognizing fully God, fully man, because he had to be to die for us. Fully man to represent us, fully God to be able to rise from the grave. We talked about the Holy Spirit. The power that God has given us after he has saved us to go and make a difference. And how the spirit he gives us is to be utilized mainly with brothers and sisters in Christ in unity. Jesus sent them out in twos. The great commission, the apostles, it was the body of Christ to go. And so now we kind of come to the other side of the bookend. We master him by knowing him and what matters to him. Always longing to be where he is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? That if you ask people today if they believe in heaven, they'll say that they don't. If you ask people what happens when you die they say well nothing you just nothing how absurd is that I mean I want you to think about that for a minute because they'll say I'm not going anywhere but they'll recognize that they did get here So, if I, if I got here, if I came from somewhere, I must be going to somewhere, right? In fact, if I came from somewhere, I must be here for a purpose, and that purpose must be leading me somewhere. But, but, but we'll do this illogical thinking and say, no, uh, you just, you live and you die, so you go nowhere, but you'll, you'll acknowledge you came from somewhere, right? I mean, no one ever says to you when you say to them, well, you know, where'd you come from? Then? Yeah, I don't know. Last I recall, um, it was a Friday. I walked out of Joe's bar. Girl Deb grabbed me, married me, and here I am. That's all I can remember. I, I don't know. That's, that's where I came from. No, 
one says something like, they'll give you a reason. Oh, well, we came from apes. Or we came, but they'll, they'll, they'll give you something about where they came from. But it's interesting. They won't be able to give you anything about where they're going because once you take heaven out of play, you have nothing. If we come from somewhere, we must be going somewhere. You see that concern in the apostles. When, when Jesus was heading to the cross, I hate saying this because I love all the passages of scripture, but I always find one of the most tender passages of scripture, John 13, where Jesus is saying to his apostles on that, on that night that he was going to be betrayed, he says, when they had the Last Supper, he says to them, I'm leaving. That wasn't the deal. We don't, nobody leaves. Nobody says goodbye. Nobody ever goes away. We just, we just, we stay together. And Jesus said, I'm leaving. And they fell apart. And then he said to them, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back. In fact, he goes on and says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'll send you my spirit. But I'm going to prepare a place for you because as much as you might like it, this place stinks. This is not heaven. This is not what you were built for. This is not the divine plan. Problem is, you've been so removed from the divine plan, you don't remember what home looks like. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. In your new home, there'll be plenty of rooms. But I want to give you a principle that I really want us to kind of dig into a little bit because it matters, I really believe. Just like you can't talk about the Holy Spirit, I don't believe, without joining it with the church. You, you can't talk about heaven without dealing with death. So here's the principle. Only when we put heaven before us can we put fear behind us. Only when we put heaven before us can we put fear behind us. Why don't we think about heaven? Because we're so worried about lesser things. When we don't have heaven in front of us, we just look around and everything's a mess. And we're alone. And we don't have enough. And we don't feel good. And some guy's getting stuck with all of your surgeries. And, and we look around. I got to tell you this story. So, 
my first surgeries, I went to Beth Israel. Beth Israel is so cool. Be, uh, because it's like a madhouse. And it's, I mean, your butt, it looks like they're mass-producing doctors at Beth Israel. And they're all Harvard doctors and, and some brilliant people there, really brilliant people. And, you know, and when, when I went there for my, my first couple of surgeries, I, I liked that. I thought, this is cool. I mean, you know, if something happens, they got some of the best cardiologists in the world. Or if, if they cut a vein, they got some of the best vascular people in the world here. And they're just, you're tripping over them, literally. Um, it's just, that's, that's Beth Israel. John can attest to that. So when I go to do my surgery, my doctor says, you can do it at Beth Israel, or, I should, or we can do it at New England Baptist. I thought, New England Baptist? Huh? Baptist? I'll try that. Yeah, I must at least try it once. I mean, you know, I'm a Baptist. See, check it out. Maybe, you know. So I drive up to New England Baptist. It is an old, old, haunted, no. Um, <laughs> old, on a hill. And I walked in the hallway, nobody. And I thought, dumb choice. Anyways. Um, I don't know what that was about. It's the match, no. Um, We've got to put fear behind us. Or we'll get stuck in looking around us. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I walked into New England Baptist and went, hello? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm going to die here. And what I should have been thinking, God is in New England Baptist as much as he is in Beth Israel, Mass Gen, or wherever. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I like all the doctors. It's good window dressing for my psyche, but they lose people every day too. I need to be looking ahead of me. See, the beautiful thing is this. We've got bigger things to do. We're going somewhere that matters. Why is our faith so small? Heaven's not in front of us. All we're looking at is the worries around us and behind us. Why don't people give? I, mean, I hear people say this to me. You know, I give more, Pastor, but it's really, you know, I, I, I'm on a fixed, like, like who isn't on a fixed income? I, I, please don't ever say that to me again. I mean, it just drives me, I'm on, who isn't? And, and some of you are fixed better than others. <laughs> so what if you're on a fixed income? God has called you now to take faith and be faithful. What's the difference, supposedly, of those who worry about death and those who look towards heaven? Those who worry about death might have faith, but they're not faithful. Those who put heaven in front of them, they not only have faith, but they are faithful. 
they recognize, this is not my home. I don't care about this. I'm not looking for a greener lawn to die from. This is not paradise. A new sports car. A, a, a bigger pool, a bigger house. <laughs> Still going to leave it behind? I got bigger things. What are the bigger things? We're going to look at Revelation chapter 21. Now, some of you might want me to go into the, all of the stuff of the different theories of how you get there, mid-trib, pre-trib, and, and I was going to do that, and I just, I ain't doing that. Um, because at the end of the day, that's not the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is God and where we're going. As C.S. Lewis said, where, when, and how isn't the issue. The issue is where you're at the post when the time came. That's what matters. Revelation chapter 21, do we have that? Now, John is painting us a picture. Why is he painting a picture? Because life around him is a war, a living hell. Christians are being rounded up and they are being persecuted and they are being fed to the lions. They're being put in the coliseums with gladiators. Mothers are having to watch their children be ripped out of their wombs and killed and then they're killed and husbands have to watch Men and women are put on crosses that line the streets and they light them on fire at night for street lights. It was awful. And then John gets arrested and they ship him off to the Isle of Patmos. We're done with John. Can't make any more trouble. He's out of play. Yeah. You're never out of play till God takes you out of play. In fact, they put him in play because it was at the Isle of Patmos that God had John's attention to say, grab pen. We got to tell people what the end looks like. We got to point them to what this is all about. We got to give them a visual picture that all this hell and torment is for nothing, is, is not for nothing. In fact, it doesn't even matter in comparison to what I have. And in chapter 21, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I love that picture too. You got this like old decay earth coming out of the, a new one. And the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, What's the first image he wants you to have in this? Beauty. He's saying, look guys, this, this picture of earth, it, it, it's not real. There's a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, 
it's going to be heaven on earth and earth in heaven. It is going to be renewed like you've never seen before. All of the ugliness of the past will be gone. Notice he says, and there'll be no sea. Well, why? God doesn't like the ocean? I like the ocean. Uh, my wife was saying to me the other day, we were watching some TV show, and they were scuba diving. She said, you ever done that? I said, no. She goes, why? I said, because there are creatures in there that will eat me. I'm not doing that. It's beautiful on the outside, but I know underneath there, oh. What, what John is saying, what God is saying is not that he hates the ocean. It's an image. There'll be no more of that stuff. There'll be no more of that, of that ugliness. There'll be no more Satan. In fact, in Revelation chapter 13, the, the beast comes out of the ocean. The ocean always kind of stood for a metaphor of a dark, murky place where evil dwelled. There'll be no more of that. There'll be no evil. There'll be nothing ugly or deadly. It will be new and beautiful. <laughs> you know, I love being a pastor because you always get these questions. Pastor, what's heaven like? Well, last time I was there, I don't know. <laughs> How do I know? But people think that you know, somehow you're a pastor. Well, you, you've been there. I mean, you guys must take trips there. God must, you know, have special junkets to heaven every once in a while. Here's what I know about heaven. Here's what I believe about heaven. Picture the most beautiful place you've ever been that you love. And it's a million, million times better than that. See? It is beautiful. Well, I can't beat what, uh, Lake Winnipesaukee. <laughs> yeah, I can. Because we, we don't think like, we don't know what that looks like. And most of the time, because we're worried about this. Only when we put heaven before us can we put worry behind us. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, what's that all about? I got a new earth, a new heaven. I'm not a Jew. I haven't been to Jerusalem. I hear it's nice, but I don't care. That's probably heresy. For the record, I care. Um, I, I don't know anything about Jerusalem. So why a new Jerusalem? The word Jerusalem, it means foundation of peace. The new Jerusalem is that headquarters where God is going to be and there's going to be peace. 
there is going to be no more racism. Gone. There's going to be no more sexism. There's going to be no more conflict. There's going to be no more strife. No more running away in avoidance. Because there's going to be peace. I mean, really, I th- all of us just, I just want peace. Don't you ever feel that? You go home and just say, I just want some peace. And in our minds, we think, I just want to be left alone. Why? Because people equal conflict. No, not in heaven. Because in heaven, all the ugliness is gone, even from us. And within us is the spirit of Christ. A picture of beauty, a picture of peace, and a, a, a picture of celebration. A gift by God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, Jesus talked about that the church was his bride. But now we're seeing that God's bringing the bride from heaven because it's fulfilled. Now we really are the bride. Now we really are what we're supposed to be. And we reflect God's presence just like a mirror reflects the sun. And he, he intends there to be a consummation of it. A, a royal wedding. God is a God who celebrates. We look at the Old Testament, all the celebrations. God is a God who celebrates. You know, we think God just wants me to have a bad time. Especially if you're a young person. I get it. And I, and I, wish, I wish you would open your minds beyond just thinking God's a bummer. If I do what God wants, can't kiss a girl, can't kiss a boy. If I do what God, and that's not true. Okay, for your parents' sake, it's true, you can't kiss. If I do what God wants, I can't have any fun, I can't dress this way, I can't act that way. If you do what God wants, you are going to have the best time of your life. You will, you will become stronger and more confident. You won't run around worrying about everything. It's terrible. God doesn't want that. God wants us to celebrate. And so the big celebration in heaven is going to be the celebration when finally everybody's together and, he's, and God says, now we are going to party this. We are going to commemorate. We are going to consummate. We are married. We are one to one. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. We're getting married. Everything matters to God. It isn't like we get to heaven one day and God says, oh, yeah, Fred, I knew you're coming. Hey, look, have a good time. And I think some of your folks are down that way. Oh, no, 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 no. 
He, it's going to be a big deal. He's going to make a big deal. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus said, look, we're one day going to have this meal again, but it's going to be in a different setting in a different way. We're going to party. And we are going to consummate and we are going to become one. And never again will we be separated. If I'm living for that ahead of me, what do I care about the garbage around me? Well, you better care for it or you might die and go to heaven. Well, wouldn't want that. Bummer. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, people have said, well, why is it crying in heaven? Is that a metaphor? Yes, no, I don't know. The tears could be the regrets. I don't know. But the picture is this. That there is going to be a God who is going to reveal beauty like we've never seen it. There is going to be a God who gives us peace and who calls us to the consummation, but there is going to be a God who loves us. Who's going to get real personal. Like a, like a mother holding her child who just skinned his knee. And she sits the child on her lap and she, she tells the child everything's okay and wipes away his tears and kisses him and, and holds him and hugs him and, and loves him. You are loved now. But there's a lot more love to come on the other side of paradise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because God is holding his child and he won't allow it to happen. For the old order, the old way of doing things has passed away. I remember George Bush after the, after the Gulf War, you know, and, and meaning the right things, you know, there's going to be a whole new world order that didn't last long. Only God does that. He who is seated on the throne. What is God showing us? That there is and always will be somebody competent in control. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It'll be a government where there will be someone who is sovereign and competent and trustworthy because everything he says is true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. It's only when we put heaven before us that we can put death behind us that we can put the fear of it behind us. Because we recognize if I am in Christ, there is nothing to fear. 
Let me give you some words of encouragement. Number one. When you get down, look up. When you get down, it's because you're looking down and you're not looking up. Remember, I don't look up. I don't look forward. All I see is the problems around me. And heaven will disappear. And this will feel like hell. And I'll become afraid to do anything. I'll become afraid to do what God has called me to do, what God has gifted me to do, what God has said he'll give me the resources to do. I won't do any of it. Because I'll look around me and say, well, yeah, we just got to hold on. We got we to you know, we, we, we hunker down. Jesus didn't say hunker down. When you get down, look up. Number two, think about where you're going. Every day, think about where you're going. Be strategic. Don't complain about where you are. I know this, you might not be able to grasp this or it, it might not feel that way now, but trust me when I say this, everything is perfect. Everything right now is perfect. Yeah, but pastor, I got these. No, it's perfect. The problems are opportunities. Depends what you do with them. If you look down, it ain't perfect. If you look up, and then you take what you have and you let God work through you, you will see that he will make it into something beautiful and perfect. But you gotta think about where you are because your time is limited. That brings us to the third one and that's this. Do something bigger and better with your time. Because your time is going to be over soon. I was talking to somebody last night and um, uh, at um, um, Dick's Soiree. Um, and I was talking to someone and, and they were saying, um, uh, I was asking about a pastor and they said, oh yeah, he's still there. And, and I remember this guy, I mean, uh, we, he started ministry a little ahead of me. He says, yeah, he's been at that church now for 40 years. And, and I'm thinking, wow, he was, he was older than me. He's almost 70. Or maybe I really don't know him. Um, and, and then he, she mentioned a, a gal I knew. And she spoke here 23 years ago. And she was, I think, in her mid 40s, and I'm thinking, she's old. Why are all these old people around me? See, I'm just going to keep having surgery so I look young. Because um, I'm old. Time is ticking. Do something bigger and better, or you will regret it. 
I want to I read you a little clip. I love this. Have any of you ever read Norman Schwarzkopf's biography? And I laugh when I say that because I know it's so sad at my age. There are people who uh, who's Norman Schwarzkopf? Norman Schwarzkopf was this four-star general who was really great, who won the, the first Gulf War. I know, you don't even know the second Gulf War. Um, but he won the first Gulf War. I mean, and I, he, was just, he was this John Wayne type guy. I mean, you didn't, ma- you didn't mess with him. L- listen to this. I love this story. Um, this is on his last day in the military. All right? Listen to this. On Friday, August 30th, I put on my battle fatigues and reported to the personnel office at Central Command. A young female soldier handed me my discharge form and said, Sir, this is your DD-214. We recommend you put this form into your safe box because this is the only real proof that you are ever in the service. Norman Schwarzkopf! And a private saying, don't lose this, because no one will ever know you were in the service. I, I just, that's great. Because it's true. This is your life. Better treasure it, or it won't matter. Put heaven before you. I'm gonna, I got too much to do. I, you know, I, I went out and got this great app for Bible verses and um, these flashcards, and I'm, I'm filling it, and I'm filling it, and, and, I'm, and I'm just thinking, boy, I wonder how, how many I can memorize this year. You know, new stuff I haven't memorized, and, and just thinking, you know, how much more of this can I memorize? See, when I keep heaven before me, I want to know more of God's word. I want to be more strategic in planning out my day, saying, okay, what would God have me do today? I know I need to make a friend today so I can make a friend for Jesus today or tomorrow. I, I know I got I to gotta look at my spending. It's hard when you're, when you're sick and on painkillers and you can't do anything and you're on your computer and, you, and the next thing you're on Amazon, ding, 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 ding. And then the meds wear off and you're like, huh? Who did that? Stupid. I'm fixing it. It's the meds. Yeah. If someone came to me today and said, Pastor, someone saw you shoveling the other day. And I, and I said, if... I'm not doing what I'm not supposed to be doing then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing because that's just who I am. And they went, I said, now there, don't say stuff like that anymore. (laughs) That's me, stupid. Planning out my time better. You planning out your time better. You could be memorizing. Christians their whole life not memorize one verse. I'm not good at that. Well, you know when payday is and where to find your paycheck, don't you? You memorize that one pretty well. If heaven's before me, I want to suck this stuff in. I want to stop worrying about the stuff around me. I want to shed the junk around me. 
I want to do bigger and better things. I want to share with you a contrast of our time and what we do. First contrast, it, it comes from a song, um, Pink Floyd. Anybody remember Pink Floyd? You know, it was Woodstock and we weren't really awake. Um, but one of my favorite songs, please don't repeat that, was a song um, called Time. Just listen to these verses. Taking away the moments that make up a dull day. Fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown. Waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of living in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day, you find 10 years have gotten behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. Racing around to come behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way. But you are older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. That's real. That's real in most people's lives. Wasting away another day. The sun is the same in the relative way, but you're getting older. Shorter breath and closer to death, and you've done nothing. Oh, you have faith. Just never experience faithfulness. Here's a contrast. As D.L. Moody was dying, he proclaimed, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. Catherine Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said on her deathbed, the waters are rising, but I am not sinking. George MacDonald, the English novelist, said, I came from God, and I'm going back to God, and I won't have any gaps of death in the middle of my life. And finally, John Wesley summed up the faith of the early Methodists with four simple words. Our people died well. Put heaven before you. And you'll put the fear of death behind you. But if you don't, you'll live every day in fear. You'll live every day shrinking back, wasting life doing little nothing things. Spending your time running to therapists asking, 
what's wrong. See, I'm conflicted. I'm a pastor and a therapist. The evil therapist side says, no, 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 let your tribe increase. Eighty-five, hundred bucks an hour. Keep it coming. Pastor side of me says, "Let's get rid of this stuff." Pastor side of me, when I'm sitting with people as a therapist, says, "We can live by faith, or we can live by fear. If you live by faith, you won't have to be here anymore. You won't have to pay me. But if you live by fear, you'll have to, because fear is very expensive." It is very expensive. It is very costly. It will take your life. It will take everything away from you. And the only way around it is you live with heaven before you and you think, God, please don't take me till I memorize this last verse. I really want to get this one. I want to know. Or, God, when I die, just help me to get these last things done because I, I, when I get on the other side of paradise, I want to look like I've been living for it all along, that there was no death gap in the middle of my life where nothing was going on because I was worried about dying. Oh, I didn't tell people I was worrying about dying. I was worrying about the mortgage. I was worrying about my retirement. I was worrying about whether I'd be healthy next year. I was worrying about the kids. I was was worrying about death. Let's pray.